Are any of you kids good at fighting? Yeah? Who's good at fighting? Who knows how to fight? Got some honest hands up there. That's good. That's good. Well, sermon this morning is about fighting. It's about battle. And it's easy for us to get the wrong idea about fighting. There's there's a lot of ways that this is, uh, it's tempting for us to respond incorrectly, wrongly, immorally even, to conflict and to fighting. One of the ways that we can respond is to see fighting and to think, ah, yes, it's glorious and grand, and to have the response of becoming filled with bloodlust. The more bloody the fight, the better. The more violent and gory, the more incredible. Well, fighting is always violent. And if it's not violent, it's not really fighting, is it? Now, you can be violent with your words. You can fight with your words. And it can be real fighting. Well, we're going to read just a couple of verses from 1 Kings where Solomon talks about battle. We're going to study that theme in other places in Scripture as well. So please stand for the reading of God's Word from 1 Kings 8, verses 44 and 45. When your people go out to battle against their enemy, by whatever way you shall send them, and they pray to the Lord toward the city which you have chosen and the house which I have built for your name, then hear in heaven their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. By now we've been in this 1 Kings 8, for long enough, you probably recognize this theme, this repeating set of words, here in heaven. Solomon calling to God that God would hear the prayers of his people. Here in heaven. And listen and answer their prayers. That's the theme that Solomon is going through over and over again. And in these two verses, he's getting to the particular of 
you know, we've been going through various kinds of prayers that they may pray, various circumstances that they would turn to the Lord in. And this is one where there's battle. It's an obvious time when you would turn to the Lord in prayer, right? If there's a fight, there's danger. And when there's danger, you think, I need God. I need his help. I need his protection. I need his salvation. I need his deliverance. Now, one of the things that stands out to me in this one is that uh, he doesn't, in, in these couple verses, now we're going to go in, into um, other kinds of fighting in the coming verses. Okay, so we'll, we'll hit conflict again in the coming weeks. We'll hit conflict from the negative side where uh, it's sinful conflict or, or dangers that are brought about because of the sins of God's people in the coming weeks. And we'll see the theme of God's name returning. But in these verses, he says, here in heaven, right? That, that's that theme coming back. And then in ver at the end of verse 44, the house which I have built for your name, so, so the name of the Lord is, is brought up again in these two verses. Um, but, the, but the thing that is interesting about these verses is you don't have Solomon saying, you know, so that your name will be known, so that your name will be magnified, so that the people will know your name. It's not explicit here. It's implicit that God's name is at stake. Okay? And, and the reason for that is because this battle, this theoretical battle that Solomon is looking forward to in the future, you know, there's going to be fights. There's going to be battles that happen. When your people go out to battle against their enemy, by whatever way you shall send them. By whatever way you shall send them. This is God's battle, isn't it? Who's the commander? The one who sends the people. We've got a war going on in Ukraine right now, right? There's Russian troops that are in Ukraine. Who sent them? Any of you kids know? Yeah. The ruler in Russia. Well, that's good. What's his name? You don't know. Okay. <laughs> Putin. Say, they're, they're there by whatever way he sent them. It's his battle, isn't it? It's his fight. He's the one who sent them. 
Here we have God having sent his people out. He says, by whatever way you shall send them. They go out to battle against their enemy. By whatever way you shall send them. And they pray to the Lord toward the city which you have chosen in the house which I have built for your name. Then hear in heaven their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. Maintain their cause. Now what does that mean? Any of you kids know what the answer to the prayer would be? There's a fight, there's a battle. They're sent out. By whatever way God sends them out, they pray to God because they don't want to be defeated, right? And Solomon says, if they pray to you, maintain their cause. What do you think that means? You kids have any idea? Yeah. Yeah, it's to answer their prayer, but, but what would an answer look like when you're dealing with a when you're dealing with a battle, what would maintaining their, yeah, Judah, save them? Yep, that's part of it. There's, there's more to it than that. Can any of you kids add on to that? Yeah, it's you. Save them from their enemies. Yep, because that's what they need to be saved from, absolutely. Okay, if you have a, yeah, go ahead. It's victory, isn't it? Yeah, it's not just salvation. That's good. You want to be safe at the end, but you don't just want to be safe. You want to have won. Victory. Maintain their cause means that their goal will have been accomplished. When they went out to fight, they had a reason for going out to fight. Right? They wanted to accomplish something. Now, it might have just been keep our city from being destroyed. Okay, in which case, maintaining their cause would look very similar to just saving them. Right? Because if their cause is keep our city from being destroyed, then if they're saved, then their city is saved. Their city's not destroyed. But Really, even in that case, there's more to it than that. You don't just want to save the city for one day, right? You want the enemy gone. You want the enemy defeated. You want the enemy destroyed. And so this kind of battle is one where even if victory, even if maintaining, God maintaining their cause means salvation, what we want to see is we want to see the enemy flee. We want to see the enemy routed. We want to see the enemy destroyed. We want to be victorious in a fight. For God to maintain our cause means that our goals will be accomplished as we fight. We will be victorious and our goals will be accomplished. Now, let's think of an example. At one point when David was fleeing from 
King Saul. He and all of his men are out fighting. They've got their families all in one city. Do you guys remember this story? It's kind of a, a minor story. You don't probably hear it too much in Sunday school. Oh, we don't have Sunday school. Well, all right. David's family and the families of all of his men with him are all together, and the city that they're in is attacked, and they're all captured and and taken away along with all of the animals, all their belongings, all their possessions. So David and his men come back, and all their wives, children, possessions, everything's gone, taken. Does anybody remember who that was? Yeah. The Amalekites? Is he right? Does anybody know? Is it? No, I thought it was the Arameans. I didn't look this up, obviously. (laughs) All the A names run together in my head anyway. We'll look it up afterwards, you and me, okay? We'll figure that out. Okay, so all of the All of the families are gone. Now, David, he prays to God, doesn't he? Now, what do you think he he wants? At the end of the day, he's praying. He has a cause. He has something that he desires. What does he want? Yeah. What? That's right. What he wants is his wife and his children back. That's what he wants. So that's, that's his cause. That's his prayer. What's it going to take to get him back? Yeah. It's going to take fighting, isn't it? He's going to have to attack. That's right. Battle. It's going to take battle... And it's going to take victory in order to get them back. Now, the end of the story is they go, they attack, they receive back their families, their flocks, everything is saved. It's wonderful, isn't it? God maintains their cause. He gives them their their cause. But imagine for a second that they go and they fight and they win, but that their families had all been killed before they got there. That's not, that's not what they were praying for, was it? Victory is empty in that circumstance, isn't it? So you see, winning is not the point. There is a cause that requires winning, yes, but the cause is deeper. The goal is families back. Now, you could have wrong goals, right? You could have as your goal vengeance. 
Is God going to maintain your cause if your cause is vengeance? No, God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. So there are good causes and there are bad causes. And what I want you to see here is we're dealing with one where it's God sending his people out. We're dealing with a good cause, in other words. Now, there are many, many places in Scripture where we can look and see examples of conflict and fighting, battles, like Solomon is talking about. Fights, where what's at stake is people's lives. One of them that we can read about is just a couple of verses in Second Chronicles. The story would take more, but, but listen to this very good example of God's people turning to him in prayer, just like Solomon talks about. This one might even be cross-referenced in your Bibles. Second Chronicles 14, 11, and 12 says, Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. Who are the people who had no strength? It's Asa. The people who are praying to God. There is no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord God. For we trust in you and in your name have come against this multitude. See, God is the one who'd sent them out. They came out in his name. The armies of God's people. The armies of God. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. You see, you'd think it would say, let not man prevail against us. Right? But they bear the name of God. And so they, they go out and the prayer is, let not man prevail against you. So the Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. You can read the rest of the story of what was going on there Second <clears throat> Chronicles 14. God answers that prayer, doesn't he? Fighting, conflict. What is the cause? We've seen already that there can be good causes when the Lord has sent us out, and there can be bad causes when we have decided that we're going to take things into our own hands, right? <clears throat> now, let's, th let's talk about some more examples. When the Israelites leave Egypt, they're wandering in the wilderness, right? They come to the promised land. They send in spies. The spies come back, and they're like, ah, they're huge. They're valiant warriors. They're armed. They're not going to give up their cities. 
we're all going to die trying to take over this place. Let's forget about it, right? All but two of them. Do you guys remember which two? I think I can get this one right. Didn't look this up either. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Caleb and Joshua, that's right. Well done. All right, those two spies said, no, God is the one who is sending us out into this land. By whatever way he sends us, let's look to him and trust in him for the victory. You guys understand? And so, there was then conflict in the camp. Then there was, then there was fighting within the people of Israel. Within God's people, then there was conflict. There was fighting. What are we going to do? Should we stay or should we go? Should we fight or should we not? And they were arguing. They were fighting. Now, that might be depressing to think about. It could be easily, uh, we, we could easily be, become discouraged looking around. And here we are, the people of God, and there's, there's arguing, there's fighting, there's conflict, there's, there's battling of ideas. We see that today? We see that today, don't we? Within the people of God, those who are called by his name, there are those who are saying, no, let's trust him. Let's obey him. Let's, let's do what he says. And there are people who are going, I just don't think it's really that good of an idea. It's probably going to be bad in the end. And who's going to win in that conflict? Is God going to maintain our cause in that conflict? You see, I want, to, I want, you, to, I want you to see the, the layers of conflict here. There's a battle. There's a battle to be fought against God's enemies, and yet in order to even get there, you first have to fight the battle of convincing the people of God that fighting is necessary. Oh man, how many levels of fighting are we going to have? Well, there's one more, at least. What's the what's the fight that's what's the fight that's left? The fight that's left is right here. The fight in you. Nobody else involved, just you. You and the inner man. Are you going to fight? See, if you won't fight your own sin, you won't be on the side of God in the conflict in God's people. And then you won't Fight God's enemies. You can't. You won't be prepared. Because 
to put on the armor that's necessary for preparation is to fight against your own self and your own sin, to put to death by the Spirit the deeds of darkness. Requires you to put on the full armor of God, doesn't it? And so conflict is something that is ever-present in the Christian life. The follower of God is never out of conflict. It starts in yourself, and that's why it's never-ending. And from there, it shouldn't be any surprise that if it's never-ending already, that there's also conflicts without and fears within. Right? Paul talks about this. This is his life. It's a life of it's a life of conflict. It's a life of fighting. You see it with all the apostles, you see it with all the prophets. You see it with Caleb and Joshua. They come back and they're like, "Let's do what God has said." Here's a brilliant idea, right? And 10 other men who came back with them are like, "No, let's not." You guys, seriously? Yeah, seriously, let's not. And, and now you know, you guys remember what happens, right? We're not going to fight, we're not going to fight, we're not going to fight. God says, okay, fine. You won't fight? You won't get the land. Well, that's pretty obvious. In just a, uh, you know, basic, this is the way the world works kind of way, right? <laughs> Okay, you're not going to fight for the land. Well, you're not going to get the land. That's just how it works. You don't go in, you don't have it. And the people are like, oh, is that the way it's going to work? Okay, tell you what, we'll fight. You guys remember this, right? Now all of a sudden, has God sent them out? No, God hasn't sent them out, has he? Are they fighting for the cause of God at that point? They, they want to be. They claim to be. They say they are. Oh, we'll worship God now. We'll fight. We'll go ahead. We'll do the conflict. We'll engage in the fight. God doesn't maintain their cause, does he? He doesn't maintain their cause because it's not his cause. Okay, so with that in mind, you know, on the one hand, they're supposed to go in and fight. On the other hand, they're not supposed to go in and fight. Like, which is it? Which is right? You know? I want you to think about this little part of this verse which is, again, a part of the theme that's repeated throughout this chapter, where Solomon says, they pray to the Lord toward the city which you have chosen and the house which I have built for your name. Here, you, here we're talking about an actual battle, right? Like, think, think being in Ukraine, you're in... Kiev, right? And there's Russian shells coming down, 
and you're going to pray, right? And Solomon says, pray towards Jerusalem. Why does it matter which direction you pray? Why would he say, turn towards this city and this house? Okay, remember, I'm going here directly from where we just were, which is like fighting or not fighting, yes or no, going into the land, not going into the land, it's right, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's right. You know, this, this are we supposed to go in? Are we supposed to fight? Are we not supposed to fight? This, this kind of confusion... What Solomon points out here is the city which you have chosen. He's pointing out that what we're dealing with is God's will. It's really not that confusing. We understand the story of them going into the land or not going into the land. On the one hand, first they were commanded to go in, and they wouldn't. And then they were commanded not to go in, and they insisted on it. It's that simple, right? God said, therefore we obey. Here, Solomon is pointing out that there are an endless number of ways that we will claim to be fighting for God. When they went in to take the land, they claimed they were obeying God. God had said don't at that point, and so they were not obeying. They were not faithfully obedient worshipers of God at that moment. Here, Solomon is dealing with this city that God has chosen. The temple that he had chosen to put his name, where he had chosen to reveal his glory in the cloud, right? So why does it matter which direction they pray? Solomon had a son. What was his son's name? Anybody remember the next king? Yeah? yeah. Tricky one. No, no. Yeah, wait. Rehoboam. And does anybody know who Rehoboam's evil twin was? He wasn't actually his brother. Yeah, Judah. Jeroboam. Okay, now what did Jeroboam what did Jeroboam do? Yeah, Liam. That's right, he made a, he made a golden calf, two golden calves. Where? Not Jerusalem, because that was the city that God had chosen. Yaziel. Do you remember the name of either of the cities? No? I did look this one up. I had to look it up. I had to be sure on this one. Okay, there, so, so what was going on was Jeroboam said, if all the people go back to Jerusalem to worship, where there's another king, they're going to start following that king. I need to set up, I need to set up worship in another place that God has not chosen. 
in another city that God has not chosen. So he actually set up two places. Now, the most famous of them was Bethel. Bethel and Dan. Okay. Those are the two places where he said, you know what, we're going to set up altars. We're going to set up golden calves. This is going to be the worship of the true God in other places. And so the people are going to go there to pray. They're going to go there to worship. Now all of a sudden, think about what Solomon's prayer, think about the implications of Solomon's prayer here, where he's saying, if they pray towards Jerusalem, it's true worship. It's proper worship, the way that God has commanded, as opposed to what Jeroboam set up, which was false worship, or as opposed to what all the kings began to do, which was worshiping on the high places instead of in the temple where God had revealed himself. And so all these people who want to be claiming that they're they're following God's command, they want to claim God's protection on their cause. What happens is they reveal the falseness of their worship by the direction that they face. Isn't that interesting? By, by the place that they're going, by the way that they're worshiping God, it's seen, whether it's true or false, whether their cause is God's cause or not. Now, this is true still today. Not in that we need to turn towards Jerusalem to pray, you understand. But that we turn towards true worship of God and not idolatry in the name of God. You understand that it's very easy for us to cover our idolatry by saying, this is Christianity. It's very easy for us to take a sinful motive, a sinful cause, to fight for it and to claim God's blessing on it. Very easy. All it took at that time was, you know, turn to Bethel. Turn to the golden calves, right? Call on the name of Yahweh at Bethel in Dan with a golden calf. What does that look like for us today? If true worship of the Lord is so essential in this that Solomon is saying, if they're actually worshiping you, Establish their cause. Well, it's remarkable the way that uh, it looks obvious to us. You know, hey, there's a golden calf. Come on, guys. This is not 
rocket science. There's a golden calf set up. Don't you remember? They made a golden calf right at the Ten Commandments. It was not worship of God, even though they said it was worship of God. Got ground up. They all had to, okay, like, not the worship of the true God when you've got a golden calf, right? Very easy to remember. Let's remember that. Okay, Jeroboam sets up a golden calf. Not the true worship of the Lord, right? Easy to tell. Okay, now, how is it going to be easy for us to tell today when we don't have golden calves, when the worship of the Lord is true, and when the worship of the Lord, when the battle being fought, when the cause that is seeking to be established is false? Is there anything like a golden calf today? Is there anything that's, that's a dead giveaway, something that's obvious to show this is a bad cause? Even if, they're, even if they're out fighting the Philistines, it's a bad cause. You see? Because remember, you can have a bad cause while you're fighting the Philistines. you be out fighting for vengeance, right? Bad cause. Here's what I think is the most obvious thing that we can have today. That's like a golden calf, right? What is a golden calf? A golden calf is an idol. A golden calf is a representation of God that is false. Right? Very simple, very easy, very obvious to see. Now here's here's how this happens today. You have people holding up in front of you a picture of God. They say, this is what God is like. Are you with me? And if the God that they are holding up isn't the God that we see in the Bible, their conflict, their cause, their goals, their God is false. And I don't care how nice the picture looks. I don't care how wonderful you think it would be if they won. I don't care how helpful you think their material, their books, their music, their brand, their reputation, their money would be. If they're holding up God and they're saying, He looks kind of like this, He's very beautiful, lustrous. And a shiny, bronzy, strong, with a couple of horns. You're going, it's a golden calf, come on. Now, it, now, of course, bear with me, nobody's saying that's what God looks like, right? Except this is what's happening all the time with stuff that you are reading, with stuff that you are listening to, with stuff that you are seeing. And it only takes a little, how big is your phone screen? Okay, some of you have bigger screens. Some of you have little screens. Okay, you got a picture this big because it's got to fit on one phone screen, right? And in that picture, you have 
15 words in size 11 font. Not 11. 10? 14 font. Okay, 14 font. And those words are placed over top of a picture, right? Now, somebody who is in marketing can look at this and can say, without reading the words, looking just at the picture, at what the stylized, what's, what's the, what am I looking for on the, on the outside of the picture? The border, just, just based on the border. And based on the font and the color scheme and the filters that are used, what the basic communication is. And then you look at the words. Okay? And the, and the picture is, here is what God is like. That's it. Every single message you see on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and on all the others, all right, every single one of them, has at its core an understanding and a declaration of who God is. What they're appealing to and what they're seeking to get you to fight over or not to fight over. To fight for or not to fight for. So when they say that God is not a God of wrath, they're lying to you. They're holding up an obvious golden calf. It's that obvious, it's that blatant, it's that silly that we would ever be taken in. God has revealed himself in his word. There is never a place in the Bible where the people of God are not at conflict with the inner man. And all of the world wants you to think that you can stop fighting. And most of what passes as Christian material wants you to think that you can stop fighting. That there's no need for you to be in conflict. That God wouldn't ever cause or call you to have to be engaged in something so hard as a fight. There is peace. Peace. And so God's character is held up. Here it is. Here's God's character. God's character is one of you can have your best life now. You can be at peace. You don't need to fight. My God doesn't expect you to have such a hard life. My God doesn't require you to keep fighting. This life should be easy. It should be easier than this. Oh, what's the fight? I never forget talking to a guy saying to me, it shouldn't be this hard. It shouldn't be this hard to get my family to church. It shouldn't be this hard. Well, hey, listen, it shouldn't. 
It shouldn't be that hard. It shouldn't be that hard to make yourself get up in the morning either, right? In that sense, all of creation groans against the curse, against the power of sin, against the fight. Therefore, you have to fight. See, that's the, that's the difference. God's character, the picture of God that is true in his word is fight the good fight of the faith. The moment you give up, you make shipwreck of your faith. The moment you stop fighting is the moment that you start losing. That's God's character revealed truly. He sends us out. By whatever way he sends us out, whatever fight he sends us on, that's the fight we fight. And so what has he given you? He's given you particular fights. And no, I don't mean God is tempting you. Right? But we all have our temptations. We all have our sins that we have to fight against. And the world says, stop fighting. The world says, it really shouldn't be this hard. The world says, God can't and doesn't truly expect you to have to fight. God is very sympathetic to your weakness. He understands that you can't really be expected to fight. Let go and let God Now, does God care about you? Yeah. The, the golden calf is a ridiculous example, right? Because it's like, does that look like God? That's, that's silly. But on the other hand, Satan will disguise himself as an angel of light. The lie is convincing because it makes use of true aspects of God's character. You understand? He is sympathetic to us in our weakness. Absolutely. That is true. That is revealed to us in his word. In fact, we have a high priest, a great high priest, who sympathizes with us in all of our weaknesses because he has experienced them in the flesh. All right? Nevertheless, it is his sympathizing with us that causes him to give us armor. Not to pat us on the head and say, there, there, it's okay, you don't have to. Ephesians 6 10, we read, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Why do you need to be strong? Because there's a fight. Put on the full armor of God. Why do you need armor? Only when there's a fight. So that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Because why? Because the devil is fighting against you with schemes. 
And one of his schemes is to have 10 of the spies, 10 of the 12 leaders, look around, look around at this, at this world, look at the Christian publishers, and find me two out of the 12 that are like Caleb and Joshua. The other 10 are giving you schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And then skipping to verse 18, with all prayer and petition at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. You know how you're never supposed to use the word all? This case, it doesn't apply, does it? Pray for all the saints. Why do I read this? Because I want you to see there is a fight. There is conflict. It is a struggle. Romans 8.13 For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So here's the thing. New Testament and Old Testament are in agreement. There's an expectation, an assumption, a knowledge there's going to be fighting. And what you need to do is you need to pray. Pray for strength. Not quit fighting. Not fight in your own strength, but fight by the Spirit. If you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It is a fight to put to death the deeds of the body. Okay? It's a fight. Every time it's a fight. You wake up in the morning and you have the deeds of the flesh rise up with you as you awaken. Right? And, and the first one is I think I'll stay in bed. And then you got to say, no, I'm going to struggle against that. I'm going to fight against that. I'm going to put to death that deed of the flesh. Because there's work to do. And you get up, and, and then you got to do the work. And you're like, oh, maybe I'll just find something else to do. 
Nobody will know today if I don't do any work. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna turn my brain on in school today. It's it's too hard. It's too too much trouble. I think I'll just daydream today. I think I'll just give myself to my lusts today. I'll be. I feel good. These are all natural things, aren't they? Is there anything more natural than thinking, I think I'll do what I want rather than what God wants? Ah, my teacher just told me to stop having a snowball fight. But I'm really rather enjoying it. And, and there's a it's a good case to be made that conflict is good, that fighting, after all, is a godly characteristic that must be taught and learned and valued. My masculinity is being held down by a bad culture. So I'm not going to obey. So I'm going to do what I want. You see how easy it is for us to justify ourselves in our own sins, right? and to fight to put it to death. It's, you got to see, to the death, you're putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Not putting them off until six hours from now. Not, not putting them off until tomorrow. Not trying to uh, come up with a ceasefire where you can have both holiness and the deeds of the flesh together, putting it to death. So that there is no more running after the lusts of the flesh. So that there is no more power of sin over you because rather you are living by the Spirit. That's victory. And when that is your cause, you can't help but pray to God all the time for help, can you? Maintain my cause. My cause is true worship of God. My cause is your name being glorified in my life, a wicked sinner. How could I ever accomplish that? There is no one, O oh Lord God, who can give victory when it is the weak against the powers of darkness in this present age, except for you. Maintain my cause. That's our fight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have been sent out to battle by you. And we are weak. We are weary. We are fearful. We are faithless. We are unpracticed in fighting. 
So, Father, there is no hope that we would ever win this fight against our sinful flesh unless we are fighting by your Spirit, unless you are giving us victory. And, Father, then we look around and we see that it has to go beyond just fighting against our own sinful desires, that, that there are other conflicts in your church, among your people, to be engaged in. And, Father, then we are despairing. And yet, Father, you have promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against your church and that it will be the pillar and foundation of the truth. So, Father, though there are 10 or 99 faithless men who are leading your people in rebellion, Father, grant us victory not only over our own sinful desires, but over those who are counseling despair, those who are counseling defeat, those who are counseling not fighting. And Father, may your people follow your word. May your people see the true picture of you. And may we not be seduced by silly golden calves, Father. By people who claim to be presenting you and your wisdom and your word. Father, grant victory to your truth. That is our cause that your name would be glorified, that your truth would be proclaimed. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.